The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. To learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticize. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host, and today I'm delighted to welcome back my good friend, Dr. Peter Hammond. Let's bring him up right now. Peter, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you so very much, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And folks, I value the work Peter does. He's done so much for this show and so much on behalf of of spreading God's word and spreading the truth. The shows that we do together, I believe, are some of the finest I've ever been involved in. But I've never introduced the show and said, this is going to be one of the most important ones that you're going to hear. So please listen to it and go back to it. But this is indeed one of the most important shows that you're going to hear. And I'm going to give you the title now. It is The Real Story of how Christian missions are targeted for destruction. Peter, where would you like to start us off today with this topic? Well, Andrew, uh, it's good to be back. Uh, I've been away, as you know, for uh, a series of missions. I've been up in Pumalunga at Back to the Bible Mission, giving uh, lectures all day on missiology, missions history, missions practice, and uh, uh, at a college which has students from sometimes up to 20 countries around Africa, they can have 60 languages, uh, home languages on campus, um, all of the medium of ed- education is in English. Um, they've got uh, literally uh, 60 different tribes and 20 different countries represented amongst student staff, over 100 students and staff there at any one time. And uh, I go there regularly and have done so for 15 years uh, as, as a regular lecturer. And uh, then this last week, I was over in KwaZulu-Natal, including at one of the greatest mission stations on the continent of Africa, for sure, maybe on the planet. And my father-in-law, who ministered in 114 countries, said, when I said Kwasabantu missions, the greatest and most blessed, effective mission station in Africa, he said, Peter, you can upgrade that to the world. I've been in 114 countries. There's no finer mission anywhere. And, uh, you know, ministering in the auditorium, so just... just it may shock people to know how great missions are frequently targeted for destruction by a combination of internal treachery and um, external character assassination, media campaigns, and sometimes it would seem that there's government involvement as well. So uh, just to take, for example, <laughs> Kwasi Sabanta mission, which 
which has been and still is under very severe attack. Uh, I mean, it's it's absolutely uh, shocking um, how Kwasibantu uh, has been targeted, and what we've seen uh, over the years there is is just a staggering. So, uh, some years ago, Kwasibantu uh, mission was uh, the subject of a whole lot of scurrilous, hideous um, attacks in the media, and. Um, they produced a film, Exodus-Uncovering a Cult in KwaZulu-Natal, produced by News24, which is more like Fake News24 or Newspeak24. But, um, and they claimed this was the result of a seven-month News24 investigation to allegations of gross human rights violations. Now, this was a um, an expose uh, which was designed to target and discredit this wonderful mission uh, so that it could be in preparation uh, for a hostile takeover and land invasions by the government. Now, understand the background. This came just after the government was speaking about expropriation without compensation, taking anybody's land away uh, without any compensation. And uh, uh, so in many cases, governments need to discredit well-known, well-loved, well-respected ministries first before they can actually take them down. So the this disturbing film that was brought out against Kwasabantu, for example, it made extensive use of what they called reenactments. And these reenactments were many of children being beaten with plastic pipes and other abuses. And the footage used for depicting the South African military were plainly not wearing SADF uniforms that looked like they came from America. So I don't know where they got some of their reenactments from. And in fact, as reenactments are actors performing, so that hardly constitutes authentic evidence. But I'm afraid the average person looking at what we know, uh, if we understand this, are reenactments. They might think, oh, photographic evidence of uh, abuse. Well, Proverbs 18 verse 17 says, the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and cross-examines him. So trial by media can be destructive. And this is just, I've seen this happen to so many other ministries, and I'll mention some of them just now, but this News 24 exclusive documentary, Exodus, had a very small selection of disgruntled, embittered people, about six people, who used to be part of the Kwasibantu mission. And I could only think like Proverbs 25, 18 says, a man who bears false witness against his neighbors like a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. However, <laughs> you might have six disgruntles uh, giving some uh, negative experiences, but the fact is there have been hundreds of thousands who have had wonderful experiences, openly testifying of what a tremendous blessing Kwasibantu has been for them, what a privilege it was growing up in that protected environment. They've, there's about 2,000 people staying overnight there any one time. They sometimes have had 10 to 12,000 people in a single service, especially the dedication service of the auditorium, which is a 10,000-seater. Uh, they've had the king of Zuland coming there, Prince Mangasutu Putlezi, uh, who's a, a major figure in KwaZulu until he's the traditional prime minister for the king of the Zulus. Uh, they've been regular guests there. Kwasabantu Mission hosts youth conferences twice a year with seven to 8,000 young people coming. And um, I should say, nobody gets charged. It's a free faith mission. They camps, their courses, conferences, the three meals a day, they serve everyone. It's all free. They don't charge anyone anything. Um, yet, News24 tried to claim that this whole mission was a money-making scheme, which, <laughs> well, <laughs> if you don't even have an offering and you don't charge people for attending for conferences or for meals or for accommodation, that's not the way to make money, isn't it? But it's been my privilege to know Kwasibantu Mission for well over 36 years. 
I've been a regular guest speaker every year. I've sometimes stayed for weeks at a time at the mission. I've got many friends there. My children have stayed there and walked all over. I've repeatedly visited many of the Kwasabantu mission stations across South Africa and Europe. And I've seen the abiding good fruit of this mission. Kwasabantu in Zulu means the place that helps people. I've seen their missions as far afield as Mozambique, Angola, Belgium, Netherlands, France, Germany, Romania, Switzerland, they're even in Russia. There's no doubt Kwasabantu has been the most extraordinarily successful mission station on the continent of Africa, if not further. And no one's done more good for the people of KwaZulu than Reverend Erlos Degen, a German missionary who, uh, he's, he's uh, in his 80s now, and um, I'm sorry to say he's actually on his deathbed. I went there and I was with him for hours on Wednesday night this last week, uh, holding his hand and praying and reading scriptures and singing and discussing eternity and reminiscing. Uh, but uh, he he's very weak, and uh, uh, but uh, he's been such a strong man his whole life. But King Goodwill's Valentini, the, the late king of the Zulus, testified that Erlis Deegan is God's apostle to the Zulus, and Prince Mangasutu Budalesi and many others have testified that. And Northwest University, one of the most respected universities in South Africa, used to be known as Potchestrom University, has acknowledged the extraordinary contribution of Erlis Deegan to education in KwaZulu, giving him special awards and, and distinctives. Kwasamant is a major educator. They've got a major amount of schools which win awards. In fact, I remember a year that they had the top student in the country. Um, they're a major employer. Uh, they've got a massive farm. They've got a massive uh, water bottling factory because they've got tremendous springs there. And they've been a positive influence throughout the country in so many ways. But you wouldn't know any of that from this extremely biased, hostile horror film produced by News24, or Newspeak24 as I call him, or Fake News24 as others call him, because according to this film, Kwasisabantu is a mission of fear, a mission of horror, a mission of rape, a mission of abuse, a mission of hate, a mission of bondage. Well, <laughs> the, tenth com uh, the ninth command says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and they certainly do. So if you believe this film, then life at Kwasisabantu is based on fear, intimidation, and manipulation. And according to one person, Erlis Deegan preaches his own brand of religion under the guise of Christianity and his messages from the pit of hell. Um, well, having heard hundreds of messages from Kwasabantu, um, I would say the exact opposite. Proverbs 13 verse 3 says, He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. I'm afraid the tongue is very slippery. And uh, the reformer John Calvin said, the greatest injury that can be done to any man is to attempt to ruin his reputation. Now, my wife, my four children, and scores of our mission co-workers, hundreds of overseas guests, thousands of other people who've continued to flock to youth conferences, ministers' conferences, they've had up to 2,500 ministers from around the world gathering for a single conference. And this has been going on for decades. And there's been a revival there since 1966. And... It's an extraordinary ministry. So many tens of thousands of people across South Africa and across the world, Kwasisabantu, under the leadership of Erlis Deegan, has been a place of freedom and deliverance and repentance and restoration and revival. Many cases, healing, physical healing, mental healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. And I know many who've testified of this. And far from Kwasisabantu being a place of bondage, 
Many have expressed what a joy it was to be in a place where you did not live under the daily fears of crime and violence and abuse that pervades society throughout the rest of South Africa, and where people have to watch their back in case they get knifed, uh, stabbed, shot, uh, robbed, and so on. So across the country is a place of absolute peace and joy. And so according to this News 24, this Exodus expose, they listed some cases of child abuse, sexual abuse, corruption that they say has occurred in Kwasabantu over the last 50 years. Well, if that was so, any individuals responsible for that need to be prosecuted. But there's thousands of people on Kwasabantu any day. It's, it's like a small village, uh, actually a fairly large village. It's like a small town. There's no doubt that there's crime and violence and sexual abuse and rape and murder every day throughout South Africa, not only in the streets, but in the state schools and in the government, and our government's looting multiplied billions of rands of taxpayers' money every year. So interesting how it looks like this um, Newspeak 24 uh, Exodus film is a distraction from real scandals. Why this distraction at a time when the entire country is being abused, victimized, stolen from the central government? Why pretend that the rest of the country is living in peace and freedom and harmony, while just a few people on this mission station in the hills of Brazilian Natal occasionally experience what in reality the rest of us have to deal with on a daily basis throughout the country. But knowing the depravity of man, evil things can happen, even in the church, even at a mission, on occasion. The Bible teaches the depravity of man, and that's the reason why it's absolutely essential to have checks and balances. Centralization of power within a church congregation or on a mission base or on a municipality or on a country is unhealthy and it's unsafe. And at the very time that produced this expose, Parliament was sidelined effectively for two years, not able to sit because of the so-called COVID cult uh, lockdown lunacy. And ruling South Africa by a committee of six who informed us that they were consulting the ancestors, uh, that's, of course, a violation of our Constitution and Bill of Rights. But News 24 didn't care about that. You would have thought freedom of speech is good and necessary in any congregational setting. Well, it's even more important on a community and political level. So government and global media platforms censoring what they term politically incorrect opinions at the very same time, that's a very real abuse of our Bill of Rights. And it's a threat to our freedom and our constitutional law and opinion and order on every level. We are being abused by our government. And all too often we're being censored in our opinions, restricted in our activities, especially under unconstitutional, unnecessary, unworkable lockdown. And as uh, we can see with Elon Musk, the moment you upset the powers that should not be, uh, what happens? They somehow start to manufacture some scandals, preferably sexual scandals, because those seem salacious and get the news headlines in order to try and discredit those who are causing them trouble. Well, it just so happens that I know many of the individuals involved and implicated in Exodus Exposé. I was amused to note that one of the people that they were bringing up as accused of sexual abuse was Muzi Kaneni. Now, Muzi Kaneni told News 24 that he had been sent by the ANC, the African National Congress, the Communist Party controlled South Communist Party controlled African National Congress, sent him in 1979 to infiltrate the Cross of Mission and spy on him. He was a false brethren. Well, when the ANC became the government in 1994, Muzi Kaneni left the mission, joined National Intelligence Service, South Africa's equivalent of the CIA, uh, or should I say the Stasi and the KGB, uh, where he was involved in smear campaigns against political opponents 
and he is finally convicted for brutal murder, and he's currently serving a life sentence in prison uh, for murder. But it wasn't a murder that the government had sanctioned, so uh, he got tried for that. And so he's a major source of the negatives on Krasubantu, and he's a spy for the ANC. And that's not a conspiracy theory. That's a fact. It's been the front page of newspapers. It was testified in court. We know exactly uh, where he was. And Muzi Kaneni was a false brethren. So Proverbs 29 verse 22 says, An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. Well, another major source for many of the accusations against Krasubantu came from Kusi Hrif, who claimed to be acting as an informant for the security police, spying on KSB uh, and on those who came there. So uh, Kusi Hrif, who by his own admission was working as a spy for the security police, uh, for the National Party government who regarded the multiracial mission as uh, potentially subversive. So Kwasavant was infiltrated from both the left and the right, and they had spies. And the funny thing is these two known spies are the main sources of the negative attacks on KSB. <laughs> uh, so as I've been a missionary to persecuted churches for over 40 years, I've traveled in 42 countries, and I've been involved in eight wars and three revolutions, it's very clear to me that this was a smear campaign against Crisis of Intermission as part of a wider psychological warfare operation to discredit and to displace, preferably derail, this mission. And I think it was part of the communist land grab, the so-called expropriation without compensation, or EWC as they called it, which is an ANC, EFF policy, the Marxist policy in South Africa of, of seizing land, land invasions, which they call land reform. Nice euphemism for theft. Now, it would appear to me and to others that Crisis of Mission, the biggest and most successful mission on the continent, is being set up as a target for disinformation, discrediting, and displacement so that they can be interfered with. And in fact, over the last two years since this has come out, every kind of government department from welfare, education, youth, you name it, they've been there, the uh, CRL Commission and so on, trying to dig and find something wrong. They haven't, but um, it hasn't stopped them trying to dig and find problems. Now, obviously, communists would like to see such an effective Christian mission silenced. And even more, the forces of hell behind this hate campaign would like to see this vibrant Christian community, which has been so mightily used of God for over five decades, and the Bible says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. But I'm afraid most Christians don't want to lay aside deceit and hypocrisy. They'd rather trust the media, which loves and promotes blasphemy and is obviously anti-Christian. Why would Christians trust anti-Christian sources that obviously hate our Lord and Savior? So breaking down the blanket statements made by disgruntled ex-members of the mission who formed the bulk of this Exodus film, uh, even if you chose to accept the version of events, which would be uh, uh, very gullible, uh, without knowing any of the context or what those accused would say in response, it's clear that much of the reported abuse was done by people who are no longer part of the mission or who were their own family members. And, uh, you know, the scripture says in Proverbs 25, do not go hastily to court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame? Debate your case with your neighbor and do not disclose the secret to another, lest he who hears it expose your shame and your reputation will be ruined. Well, um, in this film, 
they put a professor, Dion Foster of Stellenbosch University, who describes the elements of a cult as psychological abuse, depriving of food, sleep, and fulfillment of sexual desires. This he terms as abusive. So if you teach people self-control or abstinence before marriage, uh, faithfulness within marriage, that's, by his definition, cultic behavior and um, symbolic of psychological abuse. He also mentions symbol of a cult, belief in angels, demons, and spiritual powers. So if you believe in angels, demons, and spiritual powers, which the Bible teaches, of course, then you are a cult and abusive, according to this professor of university. Telling people they may be separated from God in eternity and that God exacts retribution is, to him, abuse and cultic. Now, those are some very strange definitions of a cult. Interestingly enough, when this very same professor, Dion Foster, was asked, do you think Quasabancha is a cult? He said, no, he didn't think it was, but if the allegations are true, then there are some troubling signs of some cultic tendencies in aspects of the mission, which is um, you know, a very academic way of putting things. But according to Webster's Dictionary, talking about the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, there are numerous meanings attributed to the word cult, including a religion or sect considered to be false, unorthodox or extremist, with members often living outside of conventional society. Well, traditionally, Christians have identified as cults those who have a false Christology, meaning they either deny the deity or the humanity of Christ, or they have a false soteriology, in other words, denying salvation by the grace of God alone, based upon the atonement of Christ on the cross of Calvary, received by faith. So cults traditionally forbid their adherents from receiving teaching from any outside sources. Well, by these standards, by all of these standards and traditions and de definitions, Quasibanta under the leadership of Reverend Erla Stegen has emphatically not been a cult. Because under the leadership of Erla Stegen, since 1966, Quasibanta's Christology has been orthodox. He comes from a Lutheran background. Their soteriology is evangelical and orthodox. Over the years, they've invited many very famous, very well-respected international leaders to their pulpit and conferences, like Dr. Ian Paisley of the Free Presbyterian Church in Ireland and so on. And they've had conference programs, pulpits with many outside guest speakers, very well-respected international names. And their radio station programs broadcast a wide range of respected Bible teachers and people like John MacArthur and uh, James Dobson and so on. There's never been any restriction on the Christian books brought in. And I've brought in thousands and thousands of Christian books freely distributed in Quasivante, um, sold at their conferences, donated their libraries on the shelves. They've never um, had the slightest restriction on the books we bring in. They've got Banner of Truth and other highly respected books on their shelves made available to all the people, several libraries on the, on the mission base. Quasibante holds the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed. Their base of faith is in agreement with mainstream Protestant evangelical Christianity. But unfortunately, these days, the word cult is loosely used to refer to any religious view that the person concerned does not like. So that kind of subjective standard makes the term even more prejudicial and pejorative then objective and helpful. Leviticus 19 says, you shall not go about as a talebearer amongst your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. So if people want a better understanding of what's been going on at Kostobantu, they could 
For example, get the book by Dr. Kurt Koch, God Amongst the Zulus. Now, Dr. Kurt Koch was a specialist in the occult and in revivals, and he was particularly famous for exposing false revivals. He went to Indonesia and exposed that the Like a Mighty Wind uh, stories about revival in um, Indonesia was mostly fabricated and false and exaggerated, and that wasn't a real revival at all. And he traveled around the world exposing fake revivals. He went to Kwasabantu with the intention of doing the same. And he was so impressed with Kwasabantu that this is the real thing. He produced the book God Amongst the Zulus, which documented this was definitely without a doubt a work, a genuine work of God. So much so that Dr. Kurt Koch moved there and his wife moved there and his uh, daughters lived there. And so um, how, how about that? So you've got other books like when, um, when God Comes Down and uh, Revival Amongst the Zulus and uh, their films out there like Erlo, 60 Years and When God Comes Down. So anyone who wants to visit the www.kwasisabantu.com website or um, mail at ksb.org.za uh, we'll see pictures, listen to audios, um, see articles which show that this is obviously a work of God and an extraordinary work of God. And then you would understand why so much of the world that hates Christ would want to take it down. Reverend Earl Stegan said, whenever God is at work, the devil is also there to do his dirty work for him. And I am of the opinion often that the depth of God's work can be measured by the amount of opposition encountered. Which reminds me that the mission that I trained under, Hospital Christian Fellowship, the founder, Francis Grimm, said, if you are not being criticized, then you're not doing your job. And I think that's so true. Francis Grimm also told me of a shocking hijacking of a mission uh, at about the time I joined the mission, which was 1979. And uh, he said Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision, had just been kicked out of his own mission by his board. So... Bob Pierce founded and built up World Vision as a strong evangelical anti-communist organization. And it started during the time of the Korean War, um, uh, exposing the evils of what the communists were doing and mobilizing Christian charity to help those who were victims in the wars, who were caught up in the uh, conflicts and to serve the suffering. But it had a strong anti-communist evangelistic angle. Well, his board at some point did a hijacking and kicked out the founder of this at one time, the biggest and most successful Christian charity organization in the world. Uh, so that, that was a bit disturbing. Well, uh, later on, uh, I started to see that there's all sorts of attacks on different ministries. And uh, one of the most um, magnificent ministries uh, for family matters was founded in America called Focus on the Family by Dr. James Dobson. Now, Dr. James Dobson's written a lot of great books. You know, what um, women uh, wish men knew about women and uh, 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 straight Talk to Men and uh, Dare to Discipline, many, many great books and had a regular radio program. And he built his organization up so large. I've been to Folks and Family, shaken his hand and seen him in the studio. Uh, he built up Folks and Family to such an extent, I think they had over 12 million listeners on the radio program daily. Uh, they had um, something like 1,200 full-time staff and 600 part-time staff at one time. With under James Dobson. Then his board voted him off. That's 12 to 1. He was the only one who voted against. So all the other 12 members of his board voted against the founder, uh, the president of Folks and Family, and removed him from his mission ministry that he had built up. Well, James Dobson didn't 
complain about it. He just went down the road and started another radio station, which quickly had even more listeners, family matters, uh, than, than uh, focused it. When I last went to Focus and Family, a huge parking lot was mostly deserted. They were down to about 200 staff from a high point of 1,200 full-time and 600 part-time. Then one of my good friends in America, Dr. James Kennedy, who founded Evangelism Explosion and Coleridge Presbyterian Church and the Coleridge Hour, and I was many a time on his Truths That Transform radio program. And uh, James Kennedy did phenomenal work. He even was a member of our board and uh, had me preaching in his pulpit and uh, on his radio station and uh, the key speaker for Mission Week there once uh, had something like 42 meetings and a 12-day period, what they called a mission week. And uh, James Kennedy was outstanding. Well, when he died, another man took over his pulpit called Talion Chevedian. And Talion Chevedian was the grandson of uh, Billy Graham. Well, Talion Chevedian was what they called an emergent. So, you know, uh, spiky hair stuck up with gel, uh, open neck shirt, uh, sitting on a bar stool, up front dialoguing with the congregation. So, uh, you had this ridiculous situation that standing in front of the greatest pipe organ in all of North America, uh, something like a 2,800 pipe organ, um, they had drums and keyboard and uh, things like electric guitars. And uh, the uh, new pastor, Italian Italian, had the audacity to speak against door-to-door evangelism, which is the backbone of James Kennedy's ministry evangelism explosion from the pulpit and basically spoke against James Kennedy and his methods of evangelism, which had built that church up to over 12,000 members, by the way. And uh, the daughter of James Kennedy and his widow uh, walked out in disgust, and so did the entire massive choir, and so did all the people involved in EE. And Tully and Chavidian took a 12,000-member congregation down to about 200. Um, not a mean achievement. Uh, instead of having uh, 20-something meetings in the church over a normal week, they went down to one meeting in a week where most of the church was roped off to sort of shepherd the 200 people more to the front of the massive cathedral. Uh, and down the road, meeting in a school gymnasium hall, uh, the new Presbyterian church was founded from many of the people who walked out and discussed from Coleridge. The last I heard um, Tully and Chavidian was, uh, well, he's no longer the pastor of the church, but he was at one point trying to sell the church building. He had he had sold the massive Knox Theological Seminary, which was just opposite the road from Coleridge, and that was knocked down, a, this a four-story building, and turned to parking lot. And uh, so much of what James Kennedy had spent his life building up, uh, including one of his pet ministries, which is... Um, the uh, a ministry to, to Washington, it was a Christian policy, uh, um, I think it's just called America for Christ, and uh, or Reclaiming America, and uh, they closed that down uh, immediately, and just about everything he was involved in, they closed down, shut down. To show you how, how these kind of hostile takeovers of a church can be, uh, when I went to James Kennedy's church before, uh, the one thing that struck me is as he walked into the church office complex, you had the Great Commission in full relief, big and bold, filling the whole wall on one side. You know, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Lord, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 18, 20. On the other side of the dominion mandate or the cultural mandate to go in and uh, take care in, uh, of the earth. Uh, 
So when I went back there, when Tully and Trevelyan was, was the pastor, those things had been removed and the walls were painted over. They used to have a massive full wall map of the world with pictures and prayer cards of different missionary families scattered around it um, to remind the people to pray for the missionaries, which included my family for many years. Well, that was gone. The map was gone and the wall was just painted over. There used to be um, glass display cases which had all 70 of the books James Kennedy had written uh, lining the walls leading to the offices in the administration block. Removed, gone, repainted over, nothing there. Went to the bookshop, which used to be the finest Christian bookshop in North America, and all of James Kennedy's books were gone. In fact, just about all the books were gone. There were just three titles in the whole bookshop, all little slim titles written by Tully and Trevelyan, and instead of having a pile in, on a shelf, you had one on a shelf of like 16 in a row uh, spread out across these mostly empty shelves. Well, around uh, Coleridge Presbyterian Church, which used to be a very popular place for me to go to, I really enjoyed going there. They have hundreds, literally hundreds of tract stands with all kinds of sermons of James Kennedy and tracts and very evangelistic man. Well, these were all empty when I was there. Empty, empty, empty. Not one sermon of James Kennedy to be found. None of his tracts gone, gone, gone. And then I saw in a dustbin a big relief of the Ten Commandments. At this point, I went down the road to a shop, bought a small camera, came back and started photographing all this, thinking nobody's going to believe me. And so I, I took photographic documentation. I've got photographic proof of how Italian Trevelyan uh, so uh, took down and dismantled the heritage of James Kennedy, one of the greatest preachers, teachers, evangelists of the 20th century, and turned what at one time that church, along with the school uh, on one side of the road and the theological seminary on the other and the radio station, the TV station, the publishing, it was one of the, I would have said, one of the most influential pieces of Christian real estate on the planet at one time. Today, it's not just a shell, it's dismantled. It's been destroyed. And it's hard to believe that could have just been done by just one small-minded emergent with spiked hair. Uh, but maybe there was hands behind it. I've seen others. I've seen ministries hijacked and targeted. So uh, this should not actually surprise us because in the Bible, we know there have been a lot of cases uh, like this. And do you know that Charles Spurgeon, the greatest Baptist preacher, if not the greatest preacher of all time, uh, he was censured, excommunicated from the Baptist Union of his time. Um, interesting, because when I went to Baptist Theological Seminary, Jane, uh, Charles Spurgeon's books were our textbooks. And now there's a statue of Charles Spurgeon outside the headquarters of the Baptist Union that in his lifetime had excluded him. And you could give other examples. George Whitfield, the greatest evangelist probably of all time, man most associated with the Great Evangelical Awakening. He was banned from preaching in Church of England pulpits in his lifetime, effectively excommunicated from Church of England. Uh, and today, if you go to South Africa, the Church of England, South Africa, has named the theological seminary George Whitfield College, which is intriguing. Um, and so again and again, we can see that there are those who target church leaders. And there's been their whole websites out there attacking John Calvin, Martin Luther. Uh, there's so much hostility to those who have shown a great um, uh, promise. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, 
one of America's greatest theologians and the man most closely associated with the great evangelical awakening in America was actually dismissed by his own church. <laughs> and uh, uh, he ended his life as uh, a missionary to the Mohicans. The last of the Mohicans was actually his mission field because uh, he couldn't speak in um, his home church and so on. So he went to take the gospel to the Indians. By the way, he died from uh, uh, smallpox vaccination just before he was going to become a principal of uh, Princeton University. William Carey, uh, who is the father of modern missions, uh, he and his co-worker, John Marshman, were undermined and slandered by young volunteers, missionaries who came to help at the mission base in Sarampur, India. And many of these new volunteers actually split from Sarampur Mission, spent an inordinate amount of time slandering William Carey and his co-workers. This controversy lasted 13 years to such an extent that the Baptist Missionary Society in England, which William Carey had been a founder of, kicked him out. <laughs> William Carey was kicked out of mission a society that he started, and that's the first uh, modern missionary society uh, um, started in 1792. Uh, so uh, incredible how these things happen. Um, China Inland Mission, once the largest mission organization in the world, um, in the 19th century, CIM was the largest. Hudson Taylor was attacked the whole of his life, in endless constant controversies, including from uh, people who had come to help the mission, and they engulfed the mission in furious storms of criticism and controversy, and there was constant slander being spread against him. Uh, so, um, in fact, we do see David Livingston, uh, who was certainly the best friend Africa's ever had, and uh, on his Zimbezi expedition, which was his second great missionary journey, every one of his team members, that's the white team members, left, abandoned him in the field, deserted, even his own brother Charles, and by the time he returned to England seven years later, Livingston found that his disgruntled ex-co-workers had so spread an evil report against him that no one even came out to welcome him back. And when he left uh, on his last missionary journey, never to return to England, there wasn't one person to see him off at the dock or wave goodbye to him as he got on the ship. And so you know, uh, Dr. James Kennedy writes in his book, Delighting God, if you rise just a little bit above the common hood, if you achieve just a modicum more success, than your neighbors. Most surely those bobs of criticism are going to be shot your way. So James Kennedy said, if you want to avoid criticism, do nothing. Say nothing. Be nothing. There's no defense against reproach except obscurity. So the more prominent you are, the more blessed you are, the more attack you're going to get. And I think that just makes sense. And it explains why Donald Trump is probably one of the most hated people in the world, or he certainly was a year and a half ago. And, uh, you can understand why there's so much hostility to Jesus Christ, evidenced by Hollywood. But I think listeners need to be aware that there's concerted attempts by governments, such as the example in Crossbound Mission in South Africa, of targeting missions at anything that speaks up, just like the great ministry that James Kennedy built up, effectively destroyed. Although, thankfully, because of his daughter, there still is this TV program that's continuing um, and uh, the uh, James Kennedy Truth to Transform um, ministry is still continuing on the airways and they're still broadcasting many of his great sermons. And uh, that we're grateful for. But the church that he built, the theological college, all of that hijacked and dismantled piece by piece. So we must recognize that we are in a world war of worldviews. 
we're in a clash of civilizations, we're involved in serious spiritual warfare, we should expect attack. So um, everything in life is a test of character, uh, but you've got to know that if you're doing God's work, you will be criticized. And it reminds me of what the American President Theodore Roosevelt said, it's not the critic who counts, nor the man who points out how the strong man stumbled, nor where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while doing greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And um, I've just been sent a message by a friend of mine uh, called Chris, who I've known for, oh, I mean, 15 years, 16 years. Uh, there was a, a church in London that um, he went to, and they would sell my books there back in 2006 mm. when I bought the original book out before it was even published in America by Tex Mars. It was a private uh, uh, set. Of, I think I printed 500 copies. And he had heard of me and, uh, you know, ordered the book. And uh, I used to go up and meet him and we'd go to the church service and I'd take a few along and they'd stop them at the church. Uh, I just wanted to give that backstory because he's been a good friend and uh, I've last saw him a few years ago. Uh, but he stays in touch, and I've got this email from him, and it's something by uh, Sacred Truth Ministries referring to Deuteronomy 6, and I think it's appropriate to what you were talking about today. Sacred Truth Ministries is Robert Allen Balakias, who's also um, been very helpful to me. In fact, I sought advice from him on some scriptural interpretation for one of my books, which he was very helpful in giving. He's also written and, um, and offers some interesting books himself, both by himself, and he does a great service in publishing books no longer available. But this is what he said about Deuteronomy chapter 6. Truth never changes. It merely becomes obscured or hidden by those who fear and hate it. Truth is the mightiest weapon in the world, that is why evil men so greatly fear it, when it is in the hands of one who truly knows how to wield it, and when wielded without fear, hesitation, compromise, or thought of personal gain or loss, truth proclaimed for truth's sake alone. Truth can also become obscured or hidden after it has been neglected for so long that the dust and cobwebs have completely covered over it until some virtuous soul wipes clean the cover that it might again be read by all. Because liberties and righteousness are easily taken for granted, God commanded us to not only observe what he placed in our charge, but to teach it to our children and our children's children, to talk about them constantly all through the day, to write them on our walls and gates. Peter, your comments, please. It's so true. Uh, truth is hate to those who hate the truth. And a truth teller is definitely going to be targeted. And you can just see that, for example, how Elon Musk right now, I mean, not that I know anything about him aside from what the media tells me, but uh, the moment 
he uh, is about to take over Twitter and says that he would like to make it a platform for free speech without censorship, suddenly they're trying to dig up sexual scandals against him. You know, isn't it intriguing? He was a, a hero of the left when he was producing electric cars, uh, but now uh, he's a villain. And Judge <laughs> Kavanaugh and Judge Moore, uh, people at the left hate, they suddenly try to find out smear campaigns and just to try and stop them getting their positions in the case of Judge Moore to get him out of getting a Senate seat and in the case of Judge Kavanaugh to try and prevent him from overturning Roe v. Wade as a pro-life justice in the Supreme Court. And uh, of course, uh, when uh, Donald Trump was a supportive Democratic president and so on, they loved him. The moment he became a candidate to run for the Republicans, suddenly he's a demon and they pulling out all kinds of scandals. Now, you know, honestly, this is just the way they, the enemy works. They smear people and they're not beyond fabricating, lying, exaggerating. And it's been proven in many cases, many of the people who alleged uh, sexual scandals against Judge Moore and Judge Kavanaugh have already been exposed as complete and utter fraud, uh, who were having lots of conflicts of interest as well and, and plainly professional lies. But this is what you can expect. And that's why with Kwasabantu Mission and others, when they've been targeted, it's not, they can't just put their, these people speak the truth and they honor God and they're very biblical, so we hate them. They speak against sin and they hurt our feelings. And they, they don't want to be, I mean, that's not going to work. So they come out with, uh, um, you know, sexual scandal, financial scandal, uh, child abuse, and, uh, you know, such as when the American uh, uh, ETA, well, the um, uh, the FBI group uh, that deals with alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, they decide to target the um, Waco uh, people and say they think the children might be getting uh, abused there. In other words, uh, they might be getting spanks uh, for discipline. And um, we think David Koresh is, is a cultist. So that justifies uh, surrounding the place, sieging it, bombarding it with all kinds of evil type of music uh, to disorientate them, and then fire bombing them and burning everyone to death, uh, gas and fire and all the rest of it, and attacking with tanks. So to prevent kids being uh, spanked, we have them gassed and burned to death. Okay. Um, uh, or uh, we think that um, uh, Randy uh, Weaver um, is a conspiracy theorist living up in uh, Idaho, and he believes the government's actually out to get him and his guns. So what do they do? Uh, they attack him and shoot his wife through the head while she's holding a nursing baby. And uh, uh, they they kill his son. And, you know, well, yes, what, what do you think is going to happen? Um, uh, how, why did he think that the government is out to get him when they actually were? And uh, it's just staggering when you look at this and you can see how it's not enough for the feds to want to come in and take people's property, freedom, and even their lives. They've got to steal their good name as well. And so this, like the discrediting of Judge Kavanaugh, Judge Moore, uh, Elon Musk, Donald Trump, whoever, whoever is in their way, they're going to dig up dirt. The kind of things they give Academy Awards to for when depicted in their films, that's the sort of thing that they uh, conjure up and they act like they're all scandalized by it. Whereas they love it when it's done by the Harvey Weinsteins and the Jeffrey Epsteins, uh, who they're people. Uh, but uh, they try to project their own sleazy, uh, vile debauchery 
onto the people they're targeting. This is probably the worst of it. That's why John Calvin, the reformer John Calvin said, no greater injury can be afflicted upon men than to ruin their reputation. And that's the key thing. How do the left choose to destroy ministries? How do governments seek to destroy ministries? Destroy their reputation first. Discredit disinformation as preparation for destroying them with tax audits or uh, uh, confiscations and so on. So we need to recognize these tactics. We need to call them out and shine some light on the dark deeds done uh, in the corners. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Yes, absolutely. In this day and age, I mean, this is how they're going to come after people that they really can't get any other way. Um, They'll go for their reputation. If that doesn't work, then they'll just take the person out. Um, that sort of situation now we know it goes on um there was someone i i I couldn't quite believe my eyes actually but i i should have linked to it or something but the daily mail recently reported a story about how someone close to the clintons had died and how so many people close to the clintons had died and I was like, I thought I was reading something off Infowars, you know. So even they're starting to, I don't know why, I don't know what this sort of tactic is. I'm more interested in why they would suddenly be going that way. Um, you know, have the Clintons suddenly fallen out of favour? I mean, they're probably both too <laughs> old to be useful to them anymore. Um, but why suddenly go there? Um, but I was shocked <laughs> to see it, but that was more my thoughts about it. Um, and of course, you mentioned Randy Weaver. Uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to um, remember him uh, in in prayer uh, and, and the, the sacrifices he had to make in this life to show what uh, l- levels the American uh, militarised security services will go to to harm someone who steps off of what they consider uh, the way Americans should live their life without freedom. And of course, we know he lost his son, he lost his wife, and he lost his dog. And he had to still go to prison for a year. He passed away recently. And uh, Mm. my thoughts are with his family and his friends at this time. Peter, any comments? Yes, I've actually been there to to Ruby Ridge. I was shown by local people and I was up doing a, a conference in Idaho where this happened. Absolutely tragic, so unnecessary. Talk about overreach. All he wanted to do was be left alone. I mean, how much is that to ask? He wasn't a threat to anybody. He just wanted to be left alone. He didn't trust the government. He's an ex-Green Beret. And uh, his his neighbors, they were absolutely outraged what they did to try and destroy him and his family and, and character. And, uh, you know, that's the sniper that took out his wife, who was plainly a woman with long hair, uh, uh, with a child being nursed in her arms uh, when shot through the head. Um, to think that that sniper was never uh, called to any discipline or justice or anything like that, it's it's in fact believed that he was targeted to kill her because it was perceived she was the strongest member of the family and that they were going to remove the heart and soul and brain of the family by removing the mother, even though she's a nursing mother. And it's just absolutely scam. She posed no threat to anybody around there. But apparently what you think and your strength of character can pose a threat to people who want mindless drones and who want a great reset uh, where you have a globalist, socialist, welfare state where everyone is dependent on the state for everything. So the last thing they want is self-sufficient people, whether they're on Waco or whether they're on Ruby Ridge. And, you know, honestly, it doesn't matter what people believe. Don't we have freedom of religion? You know, 
what they believe is between them and God. That's not the government's business to interfere. That's what the First Amendment's there for. That's what Magna Carta is there for. We're not meant to have governments interfering in these things. So what I find so disturbing is governments like our own in South Africa sending spies into a mission in order to infiltrate and, and to undermine it. And so uh, we need to watch out. I was told some years ago, now I'm going back to 1986, I got a phone call from a military intelligence colonel uh, up in Pretoria, he said, Peter Hammond, you don't know me, but uh, I'm uh, responsible for the Zimbabwe desk at military intelligence. And uh, do you know that you've been infiltrated by two CIO operatives? Now, CIO is Central Intelligence Organization, sort of like the CIA of Zimbabwe, um, a very nasty piece of work. And I wouldn't have thought our little mission, I mean, we were very small in 1986, uh, was deserving of the attention of a government international um, intelligence agency but they infiltrated because I produced the Mozambique report, which was read into the congressional record uh, up in America um, uh, by the Senate Foreign Relations uh, Committee. And uh, it was even translated into Norwegian and read in Norwegian Parliament. It led to uh, several governments stopping support for Mozambique because of what Filimo was doing in murdering Christians and their trustees in, in the country, which I documented. And so uh, just me as a missionary reporting back on communist atrocities on the ground had influenced some things. And as a result, we were infiltrated and targeted. So yes, and I've had warnings even very recently. I've had from a number of military intelligence sources and private security as well. Peter, you've been targeted for infiltration. You've been targeted by um, a government agencies uh, for infiltration to take you down and to organize a hostile takeover of your mission. So imagine that. Even we can be targeted, because I've seen it happen to others, and I've seen the attempt, although by God's grace so far we've we've frustrated and exposed it with Kwasabantu, so that they're still operational, strong. I've just been preaching there this last week up at Kwasabantu Mission. Kwasabantu Mission standing strong, but they are still being harassed by government departments, fishing around, seeing if they could find something to justify closing them down, curtailing their work and witness back to you andrew thank you peter and um we're coming up to the end of the show so anything else that you would like to say and then please give the audience your uh, email address uh, your facebook your website any uh, contact details yes. or websites yes, like now i produced a book on this whole phenomenon called character assassins character assassins dealing with ecclesiastical tyrants and terrorists and I saw this as so important when I'd seen so many attacks on different ministries and missions. And I looked at what the Bible said, at what church history told us, and looked at how they operate now. And so I, I had uh, eight different pastors contribute to this and missionaries, and it deals with ministries of malice and uh, um, pathological antagonists and uh, betrayal by brothers and how to cope with criticism and all these different things. Uh, so Character Assassins is available also as an ebook and hard copy. Uh, you can get it uh, from our Christian Liberty books. So if you go on to frontlinemissionsa.org, frontlinemissionsa.org uh, is our website. You'll find all these connections. Also, christianlibertybooks.co.za sells books like Character Assassins, uh, which I think we all need to know, but we are dealing with an age where if you make a stand for truth, the Character Assassins are going to try and smear your character, just like poor Judge Kavanaugh and Judge Moore and Fran Riva and Elon Musk and Donald Trump and David Koresh and anybody who upsets the government for whatever reason will be targeted. Their first treasured tool of tyrants is 
<laughs> slandering the people, uh, discrediting people, uh, and they've come up with scandals, real, imagined, uh, exaggerated, contorted, fabricated, it doesn't matter. They don't care about the truth, as you know. They just want to take down those that speak the truth. So um, if you want to email me, I'm peter at frontline.org.za, peter at frontline.org.za. Please pray for us. We know we're under spiritual attack. We know we're being targeted, and so many others are too. And uh, I think it's just so important that we stand firm and that we speak up uh, for those who are under attack and that we show solidarity with those who are being targeted uh, for whatever reason. But if they are truth tellers and they're speaking out against New World Order, we should know they will be targeted and we should stand with them. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. And um, folks, uh, please, uh, Peter welcomes your emails. He welcomes your contact. Um, and his email address is peter at frontline.org.za. That's peter at frontline.org.za. And so from now on, I'm going to include that email address in our show post. And so you can send emails of support for Peter's work uh, to him um, because I know how much you enjoy listening to his shows and he would very much like to hear from you. So you can find that in the show post. So that concludes our show today. I want to thank Peter so much for joining me for a show entitled The Real Story of How Christian Missions Are Targeted for Destruction. Peter and I will be back with you at the same time next week. I'll, of course, be back with you tomorrow. And until then, folks, have a wonderful day and bye. Come on.